This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. Former WWE star resurfaces for a rare appearance. AEW theme song tops iTunes metal charts, and I go through my thoughts on last night's WWE SmackDown and AEW Rampage. I'm Jaden Becker, and welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast. Former WWE star Primetime Brian Lee has resurfaced and will make a rare pro wrestling appearance in November. He was known as Chains of the Disciples of Apocalypse in WWE and the Imposter Undertaker. Lee has not wrestled since 2014 and has not made a convention appearance in around 10 years, but he was just announced for the big event convention on Saturday, November 13th and Sunday, November 14th in New York City. Adam Cole's AEW theme song reaches number one on iTunes metal charts. Cole stated in a tweet, and I quote, uh, and it happened officially number one on the at iTunes metal chart, unreal, and as a friend of mine has said, we are just getting started. At Mikey Ruckus, who is the music producer for AEW, Cole is set to face Jungle Boy next week on Dynamite, but until then, congratulations to Adam Cole, and I'll get into his uh, theme song a little bit when I talk about AEW. A rampage after the break, but let's get into a last night's Friday night SmackDown. Uh, Becky Lynch opened the show. Uh, she roasts Knoxville, referring back to last week, saying that uh, uh, the, I wonder why they were celebrating Bianca Belair. Was it for forgetting out of Knoxville? So I thought that was fun. Uh, gets cheered in Philly. Bianca uh, uh, Becky Lynch does. Uh, it's so tough to boo Becky Lynch unless she really forces it, unless she says something directly in order to get herself booed. Uh, obviously, she's she's made this heel turn or made the effort to make a heel turn, and uh, it was easy for her to get booed in, in Knoxville, but not so easy for her to get booed in Philadelphia. Uh, Bella answer, enters. Uh, Lynch says that the EST is just a, a little catchphrase. That's what Lynch says to Belair, saying that the EST catchphrase is just, that's the only thing that it is, it's just a catchphrase. Belair offers her hand in a handshake. Lynch slaps the taste out of Bianca Belair's mouth, and Belair returns the favor by reversing the manhandle slam into a KOD. Their match at Extreme Rules is going to be really, really fun. Becky Lynch cut a fantastic, fantastic promo later on the show. Uh, talking about Bianca Belair and uh, talking about how uh, even though she won in 26 seconds in the past, now she's going to take her time and brutalize uh, Bianca Belair at Extreme Rules and make her remember Becky Lynch. So th- that was really, really nice of uh, Becky Lynch and probably one of the best promos I've heard her cut in a long time. Even though it was a little small backstage thing, just her on the microphone, she did a fantastic job. All right, moving into our first match of the night, King Shinsuke Nakamura taking on Apollo Crews. This is for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, and King Shinsuke Nakamura, the champion, coming into this one. Crews launches Nakamura into the outside. A wild spot, just Crews holding Nakamura over his head, throwing him over the top rope and onto the floor. Nakamura flies into a dropkick from Cruz. Cruz really in control early on. Cruz rolled out of the way by Commander Aziz as soon as things start to get into trouble. Boogs connects with a huge suplex on the outside to Commander Aziz. Nakamura retains on a unique roll-up, so Nakamura winning this match. It was a fun roll-up spot there by Nakamura, something I haven't seen in a while. And this might be Cruz's last shot at the IC title for a while if he's drafted to Raw in the upcoming WWE draft, which wouldn't be a terrible thing. We saw Cruz... 
already hold the Intercontinental Championship, already hold the United States Championship. I'm not saying he's going to go up and go go for go big gold or the go for the WWE Championship or for the Universal Championship, but I think I think that he might head back over to Raw and put on some fun matches with Damian Priest. Uh, him being in the running for the uh, Intercontinental Championship for so long, sort of got a little stale. And when he was with the United States Championship, I believe he was a face at the time. So now, obviously, as the heel and uh, no longer. Uh, the character that he once was in the past, where he really didn't really have a character. Now, as the character as this uh, Ni- Nigerian prodigy, this Nigerian superstar, uh, he can go back to Raw and do some fun stuff there with Damian Priest and the likes of that. So uh, that's if the, the fact that the United States Championship stays over on Monday Night Raw because everything could get switched up. But I, I doubt uh, the major titles, the WWE Championship, probably will stay on Raw. The uh, Universal Championship probably will stay on SmackDown, so we'll leave it at that. All right, moving on over into our next match, Liv Morgan versus Alina Vega. Uh, Carmella on commentary sitting on the announce table at the uh, start of this match. Uh, Morgan drives Vega into the middle turnbuckle, very reminiscent of, or if not reminiscent, the exact move that uh, drove Carmella into the middle turnbuckle which uh, at the time everyone thought uh, kayfabe broke her nose, but when she came out today, her nose is perfectly fine. Carmella distracts Morgan, and Vega flips Morgan and wins the matchup. Tough loss for Morgan going into Extreme Rules. Most likely will end up in her favor at Extreme Rules. I will say that, that this loss here is an indicative of what will happen to uh, Liv Morgan at Extreme Rules. But if it is, then that's really some tough luck for Liv Morgan. And, uh, you know, they're, I think WWE is making the effort to push Liv Morgan, uh, but... It's just not there sometimes. Uh, we really need to see her get some wins, Liv Morgan. You know, we've seen her get wins here and there sparingly a few weeks back, and uh, her, you know, building her way up, especially towards Money in the Bank, and everyone thought she was going to win it at Money in the Bank, and then it goes to Nikki Ash, and then, you know, getting lost in the shuffle again, Liv Morgan. I think that she can really find her place and really get some footing and launch off of a victory at Extreme Rules against Carmella. That would really do her some favors. And also good on Vega getting a win. I think this was her first win in uh, over a year on the WWE. So uh, at least Vega gets some love here. (laughs) Why not? All right. Moving on to Happy Talk with Happy Baron Corbin. Uh, This is a new talk segment. This is the premiere of the new talk segment, Happy Talk. Uh, Happy Talk in the, the broadcasting biz is um, the final, let's say the final block of a show. So you have A block, B block, C block, and D block, let's just say. And at the end of D block, if you are a little under on time, uh, let's say the show is 30 minutes long and you're a little bit under on time, uh, you have a happy talk segment at the end where, uh, you know, you, you, I wouldn't say you BS around, but pretty much where you, you add a little extra talking at the end, especially to, let's say, your co-host or something like that to, in order to stretch it to the 30-minute mark that you need it to be. So the, you might see on SportsCenter sometimes if they're not, if they're a little bit under, they'll have a little banter back and forth, and then they finally reach that 30-minute mark. It's like, all right, we're signing off, and then they go. So that's happy talk there. But they use it here. Happy talk with Baron Corbin as a talk so segment he whistled a little tune he said he was so happy that he wanted to whistle a little tune i couldn't make out what the tune was because it was whistled so poorly 
But uh, either way, uh, Baron Corbin obviously ecstatic now having his own show. Uh, Corbin announces himself as the first guest because he wanted to be the make the guest as happy as possible, and no one is more happier than him at the moment. Uh, Kevin Owens enters after some comments from Corbin, and he's attacked from behind by Riddick Moss. Yes, Riddick Moss, you heard that right. Moss making his return after a year away from injury. Uh, KO is double choke slammed onto the ring step, but uh, Riddick Moss, he's back, but uh, one thing I will say, anytime someone gets paired up with uh, Baron Corbin in recent history, hasn't really fared well well for them in their career in the WWE, they'll most likely be released a few weeks after, no no harm on Corbin, but that was just literally just the trend that was happening, uh, that if, if you were with Baron Corbin for some substantial amount of time, then your odds are you're going to be released at one point or another in the upcoming future, so let's hope the opposite for Riddick Moss here, and maybe this is something that works out for Moss, uh, I guess, as being the happy ally to happy Baron Corbin. All right, moving on to our next match, Nikki Ash with Rhea Ripley versus Natalia with Tamina, Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley coming off their victory on Monday Night Raw for the uh, WWE Women's Tag Team Championships, taking them off Natalia and Tamina, so we get a singles match here. You gotta love the odd couple, right? You gotta love the odd couple of Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley. Them standing next to each other just looks very oddball given the fact that they're two very different characters and two very different people. So, you know, you look at Rhea Ripley and look at Nikki Ash and just the gimmicks in general, and it's just not, you know, it looks like they're not supposed to match, but they do. So I guess it's a yin and yang type effect there. And the WWE has been trying to build that in a few places. They definitely built it with RK-Bro. And I, I, I compare RK-Bro to the Rock and Sock connection at this point because it's really, there's two different people, but they're so perfect together. Uh, I, I might be a little bit forced here with Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley, but... Um, it might not be a terrible, terrible thing. Nikki Ash wins on a roll-up as she's been winning all of her matches in, in recent history on roll-ups. Uh, Shotzi and Knox enter on a tank and on you know, Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox, even though their names have been shortened to Shotzi and Knox. Uh, Shotzi Blackheart uh, and Tegan Knox enter on a tank and shoot at Ash and Ripley, uh, which is a fun spot. This is showing that just because now Natalia and Tamina are out of the conversation for the WWE Tag Team titles, which not deservingly so, but you know their time is up and now it's time for someone else and time for someone preferably that can hold the titles for a long, long time or... Uh, preferably someone that is new to the scene and new to the main roster, no one better than Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox. So now that they're in, they've been in, a, I wouldn't say they've been an established tag team, but you know, back when the start of the call-ups happened around June after Hell in a Cell, and uh, around the time where WWE started going back to live fans after the Thunderdome era, uh, we saw Shotzi and Knox make their way up to the main roster. They had a few matches. And now they're going to get into the title picture for the WWE tag, Women's Tag Team Championships. But I don't, I don't have a f- problem with it. I don't have a problem with it. I think for them, this is the perfect spot for them to be in in this situation. Uh, yes, would it be nice to see in the women's division, both for singles and in uh, tag team, there to be a feud over something that's not a championship? Sure, that, that would be. I, I ask for that at all times. But right now, as it currently stands, WWE is only booking towards a championship, and if this is the best we're going to get, we're going to have to sort of swallow it. And it's awesome to see Shotzi and, and Knox on television either way, so I'm not going to be too, too mad about it. All right, moving on to our next segment, Naomi. Naomi making her way out to the ring, cutting a promo against Sonya Deville, who she continues to have beef with, uh, calls out Deville and demands a match. Naomi even wants a match with Deville herself. And um, it, it, 
very surprising there, but uh, what I will say is Devel did decline the match, uh, but she did say that she would uh, knock the glow right off Naomi. Deville was brutal in some spots, talking on the microphone here, saying that uh, your only thing special about you is your entrance, and now everything after that is always a disappointment. And uh, saying she called Deville calls for security, and that's when she said that, saying that hey, I'm doing you a favor here, and so you don't have to disappoint everybody here in attendance in Philadelphia. Uh, Naomi. Instead of fighting back against security, she just walks away with her tail between her legs, which I didn't think was the best thing for her to do, at least for her to maybe go at Sonya Deville. And that would have been, even though she, that she's the face, uh, Naomi, it wouldn't have been a terrible thing to do because she's being, un, un, she's being thrown out of the building in an unjust way. So I think that would have been fine there. Uh, but either way, uh, Sonya Deville... Is there a chance for her to get back into in-ring action? That's the whole question. Maybe. Maybe. It's a possibility. I wouldn't put it past the WWE to, to put her back into in-ring action. We've seen plenty of times people go into gen general manager roles. You know, Baron Corbin, Daniel Bryan, all these other people. Obviously, for injury reasons, something along those lines, Sonya Deville being a little bit different here because I don't believe it's for an injury issue. But for her sake, I don't see the, the reason why she shouldn't be able to get back in the ring. So uh, maybe at one point or another, Sonya Deville gets back into action, maybe around Queen of the Ring time. Let's say she goes all the way and wins it, and now she has this Queen of the Ring power at the same time, along with her at her general manager-type escort agent or producer, or not a, not real-life producer, but I forget, I forget exactly what they call uh, the villain in Pierce at this point. Because, yes, they're general manager-type roles where they book the matches, but they've never been labeled as general managers, so... A um, little odd, but either way, we'll move on to our main event between Roman Reigns. Yes, Roman Reigns in the main event of this episode of SmackDown and Montez Ford, one half of the Street Profits. Angelo Dawkins is uh, supposedly at a wedding throughout this show, so he's not in Philadelphia. But uh, Montez Ford made some comments to the Usos saying that they're uh, bloodline B-words. And Roman Reigns took offense to that, say that he he wanted to have a match again, Montez Ford, uh, last night on SmackDown, and they made it the main event. And I always find it funny when uh, Paul Heyman goes up to Sonya Deville and uh, Adam Pearce, and is like, oh, I got a match for you tonight, the main event. Uh, we're going to have Roman Reigns versus Montez Ford, and we're going to do it for the main event here for SmackDown. And then Adam Pearce is like, yeah, we, we have an opening between 9.45 and 10, because, oh, yeah, we, did, we forgot to book a main event for <laughs> this episode of SmackDown, so thank you for telling us, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have it scheduled. But, you know, <laughs> it, shouldn't your main event, if anything, be the one thing that's booked and then throughout the rest of the night, if that's really the it's not obviously not really the case, but uh, just from a, a funny storyline perspective or just from a, a logistics perspective, from what they're showing on TV to us. If if anything, shouldn't your main event already be booked? You know, obviously odd, but uh, that's just what WWE shows to us sometimes, and sometimes we just have to take it off the chin. <laughs> Either way, uh, Ford is hyped uh, throughout this match, so much so that he accidentally breaks the announce table uh, just by stepping on it. <laughs> so obviously a botched spot there. Is I, I know that's not an I am the table moment because the table broke, but it broke inadvertently, so isn't I am not the table moment? I got to call a botch a minute. Let's see what they say. Uh, Ford is planted 
uh, with a Uranagi. Uh, Reigns knees up a frog splash, and Ford taps out to the guillotine. This was a solid match for Ford. I know I went through it pretty short here, but Ford did a fantastic job and held his own throughout this match. Uh, after the match, the little bit of extracurriculars, uh, Heyman grabs a microphone, of course, and wants Reigns to inflict more punishment onto Montez Ford, saying that uh, I, I want to see what, what you look like uh, when when, you're, when Roman Reigns goes extreme and them being in Philadelphia, that got a big pop because uh, ECW and everything like that. Usos enter and help drive Ford through a table, and the as soon as the Ford is driven through a table, the demon, the, the screen goes black, the demon enters on top of the ring post and then jumps on Reigns and the Usos and attacks Reigns and the Usos with a kendo stick. Uh, the demon gets some extra licks in with a steel chair to Roman Reigns. A huge dive over the top rope from the demon as the show fades to black as we lead up to Extreme Rules. So a solid show, a solid show. We, I think we saw, let's see, we have one, two, uh, three female segments in a row, which I thought was pretty fun. I had no problem with that, maybe except the Naomi one because it made Naomi look, look bad. But... um. Other than that, we also got Roman Reigns as the main event. So I couldn't be too mad at all. Especially, we also had an Intercontinental Championship match going on as well. So, uh, that was fun. That was a fun episode of SmackDown. And uh, honestly, it was a perfect lead-up to AEW Rampage, which I already saw because I saw it in person in Arthur Ashe Stadium. But obviously, it being pre-taped and airing on uh, last night on Friday, I ended up watching both back to back, and it was definitely a great lead up into AEW Rampage. So, uh, solid show. And for final grade, I'll give it the final grade after I review Rampage, so we compare these two head to head. Because at this point, that it's a fair comparison, at least uh, for this week, given that both shows were both uh, two hours long. So, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. But when we come back, AEW Rampage Grand Slam, I'll give you my thoughts and opinions right here on the Daily DDT Podcast. On this day in pro wrestling history, on September 25th, 2000, on Nitro from Uniondale, New York, Vince Russo defeated Booker T in a caged heat match to win the WCW Championship. Russo was seen on Thunder two days later with the WCW World Title Belt in his possession, declaring himself the champion and retired from in-ring competition from there. But the fact that Vince Russo was the WCW champion is definitely newsworthy and, uh, it's still crazy, even though I wasn't alive at that time, to look back on and think about, like, imagine if uh, Tony Khan today just decided to become the AEW world champion, even though I think there's better minds there at the time, you know? Yeah, but it's also fair to argue that Vince was a, the WWF champion at one point after the Royal Rumble and everything like that. So, you know, it, it's it's not an isolated incident, but you could also argue that given the fact that it was vacated so many times, that WCW championship, that it became utterly devalued into the equivalent of the 24-7 title uh, from what we see today because it was just bouncing from person to person from week to week. You know, that's not a way to book a show. So uh, Vince Russo giving himself the title, took a f- couple fun pictures, and uh, <laughs> let it be vacated. So uh, it is what it is, but on this day... <laughs> on the year 2000 absolutely insane staying in new york as that show was in uniondale new york staying now in new york but here in queens uh we are going to talk about some aw rampage grand slam and this one was a two-hour special 
which I saw live and in person. And now I also saw live on, uh, not live, but pre-taped on television uh, live when it was shown from 10 to 12 on TNT. So I got to see this twice, once in person in Queens, once on my television. So uh, deliver both times, deliver both times. And I, I noticed different things, uh, both different times that I, uh, I watched the show. But opening up the show for AEW Rampage was Powerhouse Hobbs taking on CM Punk. Yes, opening the show. So think about that. For Dynamite, they had Daniel Brian Danielson and uh, Omega go to open. And now to open up Rampage, they had Hobbs and Punk. So the two of the biggest matches they had, for, one, the one for Dynamite and the one for Rampage, they had both open the show instead of main eventing it. So uh, I guess that's a fun way to look at it. But also, you're airing a show from 10 to 12 on the East Coast. You know, people staying up late, that's four hours of wrestling, and then you want them to pop for... Uh, the main event that's going to be ways ways away. So to have it, the marquee, I believe, to have that in the opener might be the best thing for you there in that situation, in that situation. Also, Punk back in the tights, no longer wearing the full leggings for uh, his matches, like how he wore it all out, just wearing the straight tights. That's where we're used to seeing Punk. Uh, Hook is ringside, and he distracts Punk early, giving Hobbs the control. Hobbs, although a not a superstar in the ring as of yet from a technical perspective, he has fantastic facials. He has a great mean mug, and his emotions, especially reacting to the crowd in New York, uh, he did a fantastic job there. Punk connects with a vintage elbow drop as we're used to him seeing, pointing up to the heavens and swinging that elbow around for the elbow drop, very Macho Man-esque. And he, Punk was almost giddy, had a giddy smile on his face as Punk was climbing up to the top rope. Uh, Hobbs blocks a GTS into a massive spine buster. There was a botched Hurricanrana from Punk that almost landed Hobbs on the top of his head. Uh, it landed pretty much on the side of his head and his shoulder. Uh, it was nasty, really, really nasty in person, especially how after Hobbs kicked out of the pinfall, uh, it looked like he was just barely getting that shoulder up, not from selling it, but from the, being dazed from hitting his head on the, the mat. And it was also nasty on TV as well, seeing him do that, take that hair Karana bump just on his head and neck area. So Punk was bleeding from his mouth towards the back end of the match. You could see on his uh, wrist guards, and well, his wrist taped up and his hands taped up. You can see the blood as he keeps on mending towards it. And Punk connects with the GTS to win his first TV match in seven years. So solid match for Punk. Was well, obviously was not a perfect match given a few of the botches, um, but it's not like Punk was having a match with Jungle Boy or Darby Allen or you know some of these top in-ring uh, professionals who was having a match against giant powerhouse Hobbs and so Punk was really carrying this match here for Hobbs instead of the other way around where I wouldn't say Allen was carrying Punk but th that was more of a give and take Punk was definitely the leader in this match between Hobbs and himself so uh, still a fine match still a fine match and, and what a way to open the show great pop for the New York crowd there uh, for CM Punk's coming out for the second time that night Moving on to our next match, the super click of the Young Bucks and Adam Cole taking on Christian Cage and Jurassic Express in a trios match. How fun it was to sing along to Jurassic Express and Adam Cole's theme. I mentioned this earlier in the episode, uh, talking about Adam Cole's theme. You know, how fun it was just to go boom and just, you know, do the Adam Cole baby for the first time, you know, in an AEW event. And same thing for Jurassic Express. This was my first time going to an AEW show. So to do the, the whole hand-waving and singing along with the theme song and everything like that, it just made... it 
those little things that you might not even realize when you buy your ticket because you realize you're going to buy your ticket and you're going to the show and you're going to watch these great wrestlers in person but also you're part of the fan experience as well of singing along and doing all the chants and everything like that it's a whole event that you really don't really uh recognize especially uh after this whole covid you know you don't you forget about all these things that that you do as a wrestling fan like you sing along and you're a part of the whole show so uh, it's so much more than just going to watch wrestling when you go to watch uh, the AEW or WWE. You're going to be a part of that atmosphere, which I found so, so awesome. Jungle Boy was able to take down the Young Bucks on his own, but then chaos ensues on the outside. The Super Click, they ham it up for a little bit in the ring by running the ropes back and forth, back and forth, and kissing Cole on the cheeks as he has uh, Jungle Boy in a uh, camel clutch. Uh, double super kick to Jungle Boy after that. Uh, Luchasaurus chokeslams Cole onto Matt Jackson in a really, really unique spot that even the announcers pop for. Chaos ensues once again. Christian uh, spears Nick Jackson on the entrance ramp, but then Christian Cage is crotched by both. Uh, well, he's crotched by Matt Jackson, and both Jungle Boy and Christian Cage are tossed off the ramp. Uh, as a Panama Sunrise into a BTE's trigger into a boom from Cole. Uh, that boom being um, the, the his finishing maneuver where he takes off his knee pad and drives his knee into the back of his opponent's head. Uh, that being now, boom being now what it's called. Uh, they win the match, super quick win the match, and um, fun match, fun match. <laughs> you know, they, they're putting together such a fantastic card for this show, for both Dynamite and Rampage, that when we... All looked at the card. I was sort of wondering how are they going to fit all these fantastic matches into the limited amount of time that they have. And even though these matches they they weren't all thirty minute matches like how Daniel Bryan Omega was, uh, it was still surprising to see that how much action that they could pack in those fifteen minutes and how much energy the crowd had going through these matches. Great job, great job on on everyone involved, especially the Super Click and Cole. You know, Cole got probably the biggest pop for Rampage, uh, maybe behind Punk, but just hearing his entrance go and the crowd go crazy for it, you know, Cole's a really really special guy. And I'm I'm not saying that the the Young Bucks aren't at that same level, but you know, he's new, he's fresh to the AEW scene, and people are so excited to see. You know, it's almost like like a 2K WWE 2K dream where you you take all these downloaded characters and you have them go against WWE guys to see how everyone would fare. You you get to see it kind of in real life now with Adam Cole headed over and now putting on fantastic matches with all these AEW guys. So it, it, there's really some fantastic stuff going on here in AEW, and you you got to give credit to Tony Khan for bringing all these guys together, especially for a show like Grand Slam. All right, moving on to our next match, Man of the Year versus Chris Jericho and Jake Hager. Uh, do I even have to describe how loud I was screaming for Chris Jericho and his entrance, you know, singing along to it? Yeah, that, that was worth the price of admission right there, just to sing that with 20,000 people. Uh, it was a pretty slow match early on. Uh, Jericho was in on a hot tag, springboard drop kick, and a huge line salt to Scorpio Sky, seeing vintage Jericho there. Ankle locking the walls of Jericho locked in at the same time against the Men of the Year. Uh, Dan Lambert ringside, he trips up Hager and a roll-up giving the Men of the Year the victory. So that quick trip up there from uh, from Lambert tripping up Hager gave Men of the Year the victory. And uh, Lambert was pulled into the ring by Jericho and Hager and then American Top Team enters ringside, including Jorge Masvidal, UFC 
fighter and uh, you know America's top team. That that being a group of MMA fighters now have Jorge Masvidal of all people join. Uh, that was a lot of fun to see. Huge pop in Queens. Uh, America's top team destroys Jericho and Hager, and Masvidal connects with a running knee to Jericho, similar to the Dan, uh, to, not the Dan, the Ben Askren knockout that knocked out Ben Askren at literally the first two seconds of the fight in uh, UFC. So I guess that's Masvidal's finishing maneuver, but uh, great on on. AEW getting that MMA pro wrestling connection going, especially getting a star like Masvidal involved. Uh, that's some some real deal stuff. That's some pretty big stuff there. Moving on to our next match, Lucha Bros and Santana and Ortiz taking on Private Party and Butcher and the Blade. Private Party wearing custom uh, Nets jerseys, even though... The Nets are from Brooklyn. Uh, let it slide and get the New York effect going on. Uh, Warriors gimmick for Santana and Ortiz. Warriors, not the basketball team. Warriors, the, mo- the movie. Warriors, come out and play. That type of idea. We had uh, Ortiz with the bottles in his hands. Uh, and uh, Santana coming out with a baseball bat. All four of the Lucha Bros and Santana Ortiz uh, take to the sky on, onto the outside to begin the match. Really, really fun high spot there. Uh, with all four just diving to the outside. Hardy goes to cut the hair of Ortiz, but Orange Cassidy enters to save. Uh, Great tag team wrestling in this match, I have to say. And to end it all, Fear Factor into a street sweeper for Lucha Bros and Santana Ortiz to win a really, really fun match. A lot of flippy stuff. Like I say, a lot of great tag team action in this one. I really like like how the Lucha Bros and Santana Ortiz worked really well together in this match. And uh, it was really, really fun to see. Really fun to see. Uh, moving on, Sammy Guevara with Fuego. They're going to go through their sign-holding segment where they hold up the sign to the crowd as they, they run through. And uh, Miro ended up attacking from behind both Guevara and Fuego. Uh, Miro chucks Fuego off the stage and through two tables uh, around 14 feet below. And game over onto Guevara next week. Sammy Guevara will be taking on Miro for the TNT Championship, that match being in Rochester, New York, as uh, they make their way up the East Coast. I don't know what's after Rochester, but I know Rochester's next. And um, that's going to be a really fun match between Guevara and Miro. Uh, I still think Miro is probably going to hold on to this belt for as long as possible. As I said, when he won it, I don't think he's going to lose it up until around December. I think that's really when the belt's going to be taken off of him. But uh, I think Guevara will definitely put up a good match against Miro uh, on Dynamite next week. All right, moving on to our next match. Anna Jay versus Penelope Ford. Jay runs up the ramp and attacks Ford prior to the match. The bunny makes her presence known and makes her way to the ring, distracting uh, Jay to give Ford control. Bunny throws the brass knuckles into the ring to Ford, and Ford lands a knockout shot to win. Ford and the Bunny attack after the match. Ty Conti enters to save but fails. Hardy family organization enters, and they stand guard as Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander enter out number, and then the Dark Order enter, even though the odds are now in the uh, favor of the Dark Order and um, Orange Cassidy. Uh, a lot going on there, I know, and that's sort of how I felt that as well in attendance and then again watching um, on television. is like sometimes this is what AEW does and they throw a lot of storylines into the same 
pot, if you will, just because they're running out of TV time. And they're like, all right, we need to develop these three right now. What are we going to do? All right, let's just do it all at the same time. Yeah, it works if if you're able to keep up with it, but I feel like I wasn't able to keep up with there. Uh, to end it all, Uno and Grayson, they walk away, uh, right, and they were not ready to be- bury the hatchet, even though the Dark Order all came together at that one moment. I think next week is going to be such a big week for the Dark Order. If Bray Wyatt comes back and uh, returns to AEW in Rochester, in Brody Lee's hometown, Bray Wyatt becomes the new leader of the Dark Order uh, at in Rochester, it would be such a huge moment. Uh, next week is the Dark Order's week. Just know it as that. Next week is the Dark Order's week. And if AEW doesn't do that, they're doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. AEW was supposed to debut Brody Lee in Rochester prior to the pandemic. Uh, Rochester was the first... I believe was was the first uh, city to get knocked off uh, from the list of of uh, touring uh, due to the pandemic. I, I think I was supposed to go to that show in Rochester. That's why I'm saying that that show was supposed to be in the middle of March, uh, 2020, and obviously that was the start of the pandemic. So, um, Brody Lee did obviously end up debuting. From there, was the leader of the Dark Order. Obviously, Brody Lee passed away uh, late last year. And now, uh, with Bray Wyatt, great friend of Brody Lee, Bray Wyatt now a free agent, now looking to make his way over to AEW. He should, I think it makes perfect sense for him to make his debut in Rochester, become the new leader of the Dark Order moving forward, and uh, we'll see fantastic stories be told from there because Bray Wyatt, we all know, can be the perfect, perfect, perfect guy for it perfect guy for you talk about filling in some some big shoes and Brody lee might as well be your best friend to do it so that could be really really some fun stuff all right moving on to our main event eddie kingston and john moxley taking on lance archer and minoru suzuki uh this was a lights out match and uh they turned the lights off only in the ringside area they didn't turn it off everywhere which i thought would have been a, a more fun thing to do you could turn off all the lights in the whole arena and then turn it back on but they only turned it off in the ringside area the two uh, teams brawl on the outside as soon as the match starts. Suzuki and Moxley start Star Wars-style fight with chairs on the entrance ramp. Uh, Kingston is booted through a table set up in the corner. Archer hangs Moxley with a leather, leather belt over the top rope. This was a wild spot and got a big pop out of the crowd in Queens. Uh, Moxley's hands are taped behind his back and is absolutely assaulted. Moxley spits on Suzuki. Suzuki misses with a right hand, and uh, even though uh, Moxley sold it as if it connected, and to make up for it, Suzuki starts biting the head of Moxley uh, to make up for that missed punch. So uh, Kingston fires up with the machine gun chops. Homicide enters to save Kingston. Homicide, a New York professor, professional wrestling legend, but uh, probably wouldn't get a pop much where else outside of New York. But he enters to save Kingston and untapes Moxley. Moxley with a paradigm shift to both Suzuki and Archer. And then Kingston hammers Archer, whose head is inside of a trash can. And uh, Kingston picks up the pinfall victory for himself and Moxley. Really, really fun match. And uh, it was a great promo cut from uh, Kingston after the show went off air. Uh, talking about how, you know, the, talking to his mom and saying, thank you, mom, for putting up with him. I know you're out there. Uh, also talked about how AEW is now uh, a New York promotion, like how New York is now an AEW town, saying that after the show. So a lot of great stuff from Kingston. Obviously a lot of passion come from his heart. Uh, is AEW, is New York an AEW town? No. 
you know, Garden and professional wrestling, well, the Garden and WWE go hand-to-hand like peanut butter and jelly. It's really, really tough to, to say that AEW is... Uh, New York is an AEW town. It's really, really tough to say that. Can they say Queens is an AEW town? Sure. Can they say Long Island is an AEW town? Yeah, probably a good amount because MJF and also because now they're going to the UBS arena. Uh, they, they can even go try and fill up the Barclays Center. WWE is doing that for Survivor Series. They can go and try and do that. Yeah, that's 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 an effort that they can make. But for AEW's sake, to say that New York is a... AEW town, that is tough. That is tough. That's like saying the Mets are are a New York, you know, like are the, the, the overall New York town, but it's really not. It's the Yankees, even though I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a Mets fan. I'm, I'm a realist, and obviously the Yankees are, you know, they're the Yankees. They're a $4 billion franchise, you know, more than that, $8 billion franchise, and then the Mets, you, you know, they're a $4 billion franchise in a New York market and also play baseball, so same with the AEW and, and WWE, but, uh, Obviously not on the same level, not even close, not yet. Definitely not yet for for AEW. But they're definitely in the right direction. You know, you fill up Arthur Ashe Stadium with over 20,000 people. Yeah, that's not an easy thing to do. You know, sell 20,000 tickets and sell it out. You know, that's not an easy thing to do. But they did. But they did. So you got to give them credit there. All right. Who won? Rampage. Obvious. You know, they put together a pay-per-view worthy card for free television on a Friday night. Uh, SmackDown. This was their go-home show to uh, go-home show into Extreme Rules. And was it missable? Yeah. If, 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 if you decided not to watch SmackDown this week, would you have missed anything? Yeah, you would have missed Roman Reigns in the main event against Montez Ford. So was it missable? Maybe not. But everything else on that show was missable. You know, you didn't really need to see the Intercontinental Championship match with um, Apollo Crews because Apollo Crews is going to probably go on to, and do different things after this. Um, yeah, you, you really didn't miss much. You know, I guess Riddick Moss. Oh, great. The return of Riddick Moss, you know. But, yeah, it was it was a pretty missable episode of SmackDown for a go-home show. And uh, this AEW Rampage was literal opposite of that. Like, you did not want to miss this episode of Rampage, even though it was pre-taped, even though uh, 20,000 people have already seen it live in person. Uh, this is an episode you did not want to miss, especially given CM Punk's his first TV match back in over seven years, and then Moxley, Kingston, uh, Minuro, and um, Lance Archer, uh, you know, Jericho will be on this card as well. All these, everyone, that whole card. You know, there's no real reason for me to make an argument here. You know, the Dynamite and Rampage put together pay-per-view-worthy cards, and SmackDown had no real reason to. You know, there wasn't, they weren't in front of twenty thousand, so there, there's no real reason to. But Either way, Rampage takes the cake here. Rampage with a B plus. Ah, even yeah, B plus. That's I'm, the, the dynamite was better than the Rampage, but uh, I'll take a B plus there, and then a uh, uh, probably a C plus for the SmackDown, given the fact that it was missable. Maybe a B minus. Maybe I pump it up to a B minus, given the fact Roman Reigns had a match, and we did see Finn Balor, Demon King. So that's always a plus there. All right. Looking on to our next episode of the Daily DDT Podcast, I will give you my WWE Extreme Rules predictions from top to bottom, the whole entire card, and I'll give you my reasons why. I'm not just going to list you my my winners and losers. I want to give you a full backstory and reason why. So something you're not going to want to miss, call your bookies. Jaden Beck is back giving you his, his Extreme Rules predictions. You know, I did pretty good back in Mania, man, and I think that when people some money, even though you should never be wrestling on, on pro wrestling ever. But uh, and I, I'm not even saying that sarcastically. Just don't. But uh, if, if you're ever inclined, I'll give you my thoughts and opinions here. 
All right, you can catch this podcast on all your favorite providers. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and never miss an episode. And remember, you can ask your smart device to play the Daily DDT Podcast. If you like content like this, check out our writers at dailyddt.com. And if you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at JadenBeckerTV. I'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the Daily DDT Podcast.